Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton, back with a new episode. I'm really excited to have our next guest, Dina Pierrot, who's the founder of iUrbanTeen. Dina, thanks so much for for being on. Thank you for having me. You bet. And... Um, We'll get into a couple of different, you know, things before we, we start recording. I, we talked about some directions we want to go, but, you know, always love to start off if, if you don't mind telling us a bit about, you know, yourself and Iron Teen and some of the other, you know, organizations you've helped start and involved with. Oh, I'd love to. I love telling my story. It's such a lengthy story, but I'll, I'll summarize it for you. Um, so I am a, I, I call myself a social entrepreneur, social impact entrepreneur. And everything that I do with all the different businesses that I have, everything is centered around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Okay. So I have, of course, my baby, iUrban Teen, which I started 10 years ago. We're in our 10th year now. Yeah. Yeah. And iUrban Teen is an intentional pathway for, for male youth of color, primarily black youth, uh, um, indigenous and uh, Latinx and other students who might be underrepresented in STEM, but we're inclusionary. So, you know, I said intentional reach to boys, but we have maybe 50 or more percent of girls in our program. Okay. We also have youth that um, with youth with disabilities um, and we have also uh, low opportunity white youth in our program. We don't turn away any child, especially if they're on free or reduced lunch. Um, and again, it's about creating those, those equity pathways, you know, for these overlooked, untapped, you know, underestimated students, you know, in this, in this STEM space. And so I also have, I call it a, a monster wannabe. I have a, a job recruiting site called Mosaic Metier. Okay. Organizations looking to hire diverse talent mm-hmm. where they can advertise uh, their their positions. I also am one of the founding members for Black Women in STEM 2.0, mm-hmm. which was really expanding across the country. You know, pre you know uh, before COVID hit, yeah. we had to slow down and do a lot of things online and virtual. However, we're planning to have our conference in Dallas, Texas, in October. In person? Or yeah, in person. Great a lower amount of uh, a limited amount of attendees that can attend, but we'll also live stream that, you know, so we had the last one in Portland, which was very mm-hmm. successful. Yeah. We were supposed to be in Dallas last year, but then COVID hit. So we had to move it to this October of 2021. Um, and I also do a lot of diversity, equity, 
consulting, you know, with different organizations. So again, everything that I do is centered around, around that, about being equitable. How can we be more equitable in our careers, you know, in our personal lives, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And I feel like you're kind of a kindred spirit. I have several projects I do and that's just how I, I work. So I, I totally understand. And we, we can, we can get into just managing that as a leader is, um, probably, some things you can share, some tips maybe. Oh my gosh, I tell you, it, you know, I'm wired this way. I'm wired to juggle a whole bunch of different yeah. balls at the same time. I don't think I would be able to function if I didn't have, you know, so much chaos going on at the same time. <laughs> One of the things I forgot to mention <laughs> is I also have a group there in Portland called the Portland Metro Diversity Employment Network. Okay. That's about a hundred or so corporate recruiters and HR managers where we meet every month to talk about and brainstorm on strategies around diversity, mm. recruitment, onboarding, and retention. Mm. And we have live resume candidates that come and do a pitch, oh, you know, cool. who they are, what they're looking for, and their skill sets. Because I tell our folks, it's really important to have that FaceTime yeah. with these folks, right? And so that you're not just a blank resume that they're seeing, they actually see a person attached you know, to these words. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing that group now for about eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're in, in Portland. Well, I'd love to touch kind of, if you're open to it, about the retention piece, because, you know, one of um, the partners of my uh, events is an organization called Partners in Diversity, and they did a big retention kind of s study last year. And I think it was really eye-opening, especially in Portland, of people of color that move here for a job and then wow, they get here and realize this is not so welcoming maybe it's and they not. leave. So what are some of the things, I guess, on the retention side of, you know, Portland, Pacific Northwest, um, you could share some strategies that have been effective or, you know, even the challenge, the ongoing challenge of that here. Well, you know, I moved out, I was a transplant uh, to Portland. I moved up to Portland back in the early nineties from Compton, California. Yeah. So you can imagine the major culture shift, you know, mm -hmm. from me. In fact, I tell people I didn't really realize I was black until I moved to Portland, you know, because of the bias that the discrimination, I don't know how many times I was called the N word. Mm. You know, mm. And I had never experienced that in California. Never. Wow. I also noticed at the, t at that time, a lot of complacency from my own community on how things were happening and they were afraid to speak up. They were afraid to have their voices heard. And that's still the case in, in a lot of organizations is that when you're one of few in an organization, you it's easier for you to try to code switch, you know, mm. instead of being your authentic selves or to advocate for yourself, right? Mm. So a lot of times I work with, with people, with women and people of color on how do you best advocate for yourself without the fear of repercussions, right? How do you mention or how do you speak up when you've just felt a major microaggression you know, that just hit you, right? Yeah. Um, and so when I was working at the city of Portland, I noticed that, you know, that, that there was so much bias and there was so much discrimination and there was so much racism, even amongst what we call these so-called liberals, right? Which can be the most damaging. So, so, and I tell people is sometimes you have to unlearn what you think you know and start from scratch, right? And so a lot of times the whole white saviorism thing was so prominent, you know, I'm gonna save you. And when they see that we can save ourselves, then some animosity kicks in. So there's all this mosaic of issues 
that that keeps that 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 bias and keeps that discrimination and keeps that racism really right in front of you, right? Yeah. And yeah. sometimes people are blind and don't see it, but you can still feel it. Plus there's a lack of community. There was a a lack of 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 like especially middle class community in in the in the black and latinx uh, communities that was hard. It was hard to find your tribe. For me, it was really hard to find my tribe. I always felt like an outsider, you know? And so that's why we talk about people moving to Portland. They're there for two or three years and they get the hell out, you know, because they have to go find that community, that tribe. Um, Yeah, so I just kind of slowly built a tribe around me over the years, Mm -hmm. but it was still difficult. It was really still difficult to do that. It's really good insight. It is a small connection. It's funny. My, my, I know I don't, my mom grew up in Compton, so she immigrated from Mexico and she, when she came up here, uh, you know, I don't, uh, obviously, uh, wait a minute, your mom was from Compton. Yeah. I mean, she's older than you are. So, you know, Compton was a different place there then. Um, but when she grew up to or moved to Oregon, you know, unfortunately she experienced some racism too, but exactly. yeah. Um, well, you know, what are some, I guess you really had to work at, it, it sounds like creating these communities for yourself. Well, so- I, I was ostracized a lot by both communities because I was so, um, and it, people say opinionated. In fact, I had one person tell me back in the nineties when I really started getting into equity and fighting the good fight and all of that, I had uh, someone from my community say, Dina, you're too opinionated, you know, you, you, you press the envelope too much. You have to make them comfortable, meaning I had to make whites comfortable. I could not fathom that, right? And I, I thought to myself, what a life that would be for me to feel like I could not have my voice heard in a situation. I didn't go for that. I always ensure that my voice is heard, mm-hmm. you know, um, and all. In fact, with the students in IRB and Teen, that's some of the things that we teach them is how do you stand in a room with no one else that looks like you and still be confident, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's, I feel like if we start with this generation um, that, that we can really see some, really see some changes. And, you know, I, I spoke, I, I spoke about a year and a half ago to a group at Western Washington university in in Bellingham. And I thought, you know, I thought that it was going to be community members and faculty there. But when I got there, 90% of the audience were students. And out of that 90%, at least 85% was white male students. Hmm. And so I started talking and then I had to stop. And I said, you know what, I got to address something here that I noticed in the room. And so I sat next to one of them. I said, there's a lot of you young white male students here today. Now you're not getting any extra credit to come hear me talk. So why are you here? You know, and he said, well, I'm here because I want to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. And all the other young males shook their head. Yeah. And so I sat next to another one. I said, so what's your story? You know, and he said, well, you know, I grew up in a community and a family where I always heard these negative things about others. And I always felt that it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. It didn't it didn't sit with me properly. And so I always started looking outside of my 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 source of control here to learn about other cultures and and to see my find out my own truths. Mm. So I am here as a constant learner so that I also can be a part of the solution. And you know, I left that I left that forum that day. I felt so 
warm hearted. I felt like, you know, the, this generation is really going to be some game changers in our society. Right. Yeah. It gives me a lot of optimism. You just telling that story. Well, you know, I'm also working with a, a global tech company there in Portland doing some diversity work with them. And, and when we first had the first virtual session, there was about 40 internal employees that really want to make these changes occur within their organization. You know, and I kind of guided them through, how do you look at your current policies through an equity lens, right? How do you know what you really need to adopt or change or remove? And so we have them broken into different teams. But when that first meeting, you know, out of the 40 some odd folks, 38 of them were white men that were from across the globe, Ireland, Australia, the UK, you know, here across the country here in the United States. And I tell you, they weren't there just because somebody forced them to be there. They were there because they want to kick ass and make a change, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. I was so proud of them and so proud of the work that they did because I had them all working on research and they had to present to the CEO on some of the initiatives that they want to see changed or enhanced there within the organization. And they stayed through the whole, it's been like six months and still there, right? So that gives me hope as well. Well, I mean, that's a good kind of segue to, um, I'm just bringing this up, this, this opinion piece you wrote for the Portland Business Journal. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's labeled DE&I, but are Black women being included? Right. And I, I read that and it was really powerful. And, you know, I obviously reached out to, to have you on and um, I wanted to just dive into that piece. And if you mind sharing a little more, maybe for the folks that haven't read it, some mm-hmm. of the thoughts from that, I just think it's really important. Well, you know, I wrote that, I actually wrote that, uh, some framework of that years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, um, because at the time, you know, we had Oprah Winfrey and all that. And I think people felt, well, you know, look at Oprah, you know, she's doing this though. They don't need help. We don't have to really do anything for them. They've arrived. No, it's not true. We were still, black women were still marginalized in the workplace, right? Still devalued, still gaslighted, still marge, all those things that, that can happen to us were still happening and they're still happening. And I wrote this piece now since we have, and I'm so uh, like, so in love with, with her, with uh, our vice president, but because we have a black or a mixed race uh, vice president in office, we still haven't arrived, right? In fact, there might be even more animosity towards us because of it, you know? So I feel that, I feel that we are still organizations when they start really looking at their internal processes as far as equity, that they need to gauge the equitable practices for black women in the workplace. Once you've mastered that, you've mastered for everybody, Mm -hmm. right? So we're the ones usually in the workplace like how I was pushing that envelope for inclusion and equity, but I was marginalized so much that it was insane. I'm so glad that I have a strong constitution and thought everybody else was crazy and not me, you know? Um, but yeah, it was difficult. It was really difficult. And, and I even think about on some of the recent experiences that I've had in the workplace, how, you know, how marginalized, how they want you to be there for appearance, but they don't want your input. Mm. You know, they don't want, unless it's something that they can take and create for their own, on their own. I had, when I worked for the city of Portland, 
you know, I had created so much stuff while I was there that I was never credited for. Like I created um, their employee resources groups back in the early 2000s. It took me three years to, to, to launch those, but they gave it to someone else, a white woman to run. Mm-hmm. I created a, a building inspecting inspection program so that black and Latinx community members can learn um, about building ins- inspections and get employed in that those roles. They gave that to a white woman to run. You know, I, I conceptualized the Commission on Human Relations, which is now their office of equity. Well, I got pushed aside from that too. And at the time, I really didn't think it was a big thing. It wasn't until later when I really started looking at the hits, the, wow, uh, wow, I, this is this is happening to me. And I, I felt bad though, because I felt like I allowed it to happen. I didn't speak up, right? Because you know, you've heard this saying that sometimes you allow things to happen if you don't speak up or whatever. Um, so I felt bad about how I did not speak up. And I think that's why I'm so adamant now about making sure that not only I speak up, but how do, how do we get other people engaged in their own trajectory and be able to advocate for themselves and say, this is not okay, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I wrote that piece because I still feel, and then too, being a black female founder for iUrban Teen and not being funded the way I should, right? Not getting the support that I should have, even we, though we worked with 9,000 some odd youth. In fact, when I was honored in the President, uh, President White House's, President Obama's White House back in 2013, um, and by the way, I have no filter, so I hope you're cool with that. No, you're like, my, my that's my family. So I, no. I, I appreciate the conversation. So, <laughs> No, I, um, when I was honored there back in 2013 as a White House champion of change for technology inclusion, at the end of the day, they asked us, there were seven of us, well, what are some of your real challenges? You know, and I said, well, I'll be honest, mine is funding. I'm a woman of color with a program that hasn't a program that's making an impact in the community, but I'm not funded. I could be a white girl selling cat booties and I would be funded hand over foot, right? I said, there's a lot of salaries being made off the backs of black and brown youth in this country by dominant culture organizations who truly are not making the impact that they should. But I said, funding or no funding, I'm here for the long game, right? I can pull a rabbit out of my hat like nobody can. And I was pulling rabbits out for nine years. It wasn't until Bobby Wagner with the Seahawks found out about us and Mm. and put us in a contest that he won and monies came our way. Other organizations followed suit. So, but that was nine years before that happened. Well, you know, I want to kind of steer it back to, to Portland, if that's okay, because I know you don't live here anymore, but you do a lot of work here. Yeah, my program. And, and, and I just want to ask, you know, it's in, in kind of an interesting time in our, our city, in our area. We obviously have a lot of challenges. What's your thoughts just on the future of, of Portland, the metro area, in regards to moving forward and growth for businesses? Obviously, um, just our, our city in general, we're kind of, I feel like, some crossroads maybe a little bit. Well, you know, I really feel optimistic about Portland. I think what I had to deal with in the 90s and the early 2000s in that generation, I feel that this newer generation of black folk and brown folk and white folk are really making inroads 
They're really doing some innovative things there. I, I love to see the organizations like the city of Portland, Multnomah County, Prosper Portland, and others who are making a collective effort on inclusion and valuing and supporting these business owners. I So I see it and I feel it, right? Mm. A change is going to come and it's coming there to Portland. I love that optimist. I'm so optimistic as well. You know what? I am too. Okay. I'm the total optimist and idealistic person there is out there. But I think that keeps you sane and it keeps you innovative as well. (laughs) But no, I really do. I really do like what I'm seeing and feeling out of Portland and what I'm hearing a very still tethered to Portland. And of course that's because that's where my program started. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that Portland is really going to be leading the country in some of these areas because of these young folks that have gotten involved. I love that. Well, well, Dina, you know, where can folks, before we go, find more about you, about iUrban Teen, you know, the other, the work that you're doing? Well, you can find me on, of course, LinkedIn, just under DPRO, because um, I post a lot of stuff there. Um, our website is iUrban like teenager, iurbanteen.org. We also have the Black Women in STEM uh, program and that web- website is B-W-I-S-T-E-M. So B-W-I-S-T-E-M.com. And uh, our, my diversity uh, site is Mosaic Metier. So it's M-E-T-I-E-R.com. So there's three ways they can find me. Well, uh, thanks for all the work you do, Dina. And thanks for um, being on the podcast with me. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 